Chapter 5 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 5, Jocelyn Monchensey. Notwithstanding the risk incurred, the young man, whose feelings were evidently deeply interested, seemed disposed to pursue the dangerous theme, but perceiving one of their opposite neighbors glancing at them, Sir Francis checked him, and filling his glass, essayed to change the conversation, by inquiring how long he had been in town and where he lodged. "'I only arrived in London yesterday,' was the reply. "'Yet I have been here long enough to make me loath to return to the woods and moors of Norfolk. As to my lodging, it is without the city walls, near St. Botolph's Church, and within a bowshot of Aldgate, a pleasant situation enough, looking towards the spittle fields and the open country. I would fain have got me others in the Strand, or near Charing Cross, if my scanty means would have allowed me. Chance, as I have said, brought me here to-day. Strolling forth early to view the sights of town, I crossed London Bridge, the magnificence of which amazed me, and, proceeding along the bankside, entered Paris Garden, of which I had heard much, and where I was greatly pleased, both with the mastiffs kept there, and the formidable animals they have to encounter, and methought I should like to bait mine enemies with those savage dogs instead of the bear. Returning to the opposite shore in a wherry, the watermen landed me at this wharf, and so highly commended the three cranes as affording the best French ordinary and the best French wine in London, that seeing many gentlefolk flocking towards it, which seemed to confirm his statement, I came in with them, and have reason to be satisfied with my entertainment, never having dined so sumptuously before, and certes never having tasted wine so delicious. Let me fill your glass again. As I am a true gentleman, it will not hurt you. A singular merit of pure Bordeaux, being that you may drink it with impunity, and the like cannot be said of your sophisticated sack. We will crush another flask. Ho, drawer, Cyprion, I say, more wine, and of the best Bordeaux, the best, I say. And for a wonder the order was obeyed, and the flask set before him. You have been at the bankside, you say, young sir? On my credit, you must cross the river again and visit the theatres, the Globe or the Rose. Our great actor, Dick Burbage, plays Othello today, and I warrant me he will delight you. A little man is Dick, but he hath a mighty soul. There is none other like him, whether it be Nat Field or Ned Allen. Our famous Shakespeare is fortunate, I trow, in having him to play his great characters. You must see Burbage, likewise, in The Mad Prince of Denmark, the part was written for him, and fits him exactly. See him also in Gentle and Lovesick Romeo, in Tyrannous and Murderous Macbeth, and in Crookback Richard, in all of which, though different, our Dick is equally good. He hath some other parts of almost equal merit, as Melivola in The Malcontent, Frankfurt in The Woman Killed with Kindness, Bracciano in Webster's White Devil, and Vendice in Cyril Tornauer's Revenger's Tragedy. I know not what may be the nature of that last-named play, the young man rather sternly remarked. But if the character of Vendice at all bears out its name, it would suit me. I am an avenger. Forbear your wrongs a while, I pray you, and drown your resentment in a cup of wine. As I am a true gentleman, a better bottle than the first. Nay, taste it. On my credit, it is perfect nectar. I pledge you in a brimmer, wishing success may attend you, and confusion await your enemies. May you speedily regain your rights. I drink that toast most heartily, worthy sir, the young man exclaimed, raising his beaded flagon on high. 
Confusion to my enemies. Restoration to my rights. And he drained the goblet to its last drop. By this time he must be in a fit mood for my purpose, Sir Francis thought, as he watched him narrowly. Hark ye, my good friend, he said, lowering his tone. I would not be overheard in what I have to say. You were speaking just now of the shortest way to fortune. I will point it out to you. To him who is bold enough to take it, and who hath the requisites for the venture, the shortest way is to be found at court. Where think you most of those gallants, of whom you may catch a glimpse through the traverse, derive their revenues? As I am a true gentleman, from the royal coffers. Not many years ago, with all of them, not many months ago, with some, those brilliant entitled coxcombs were adventurers like yourself, having barely a Jacobus in their purses, and scarce credit for board and lodging with their respective landladies. Now you see how nobly they feast, and how richly they bedeck themselves. On my credit, the good fortune may attend you, and haply, when I dine at an ordinary a year hence, I may perceive you at the upper table, with a curtain before you to keep off the meaner company, and your serving man at your back, holding your velvet mantle and cap, like the best of your fellow nobles. "'Heaven grant it may be so!' the young man exclaimed with a sigh. "'You hold a dazzling picture before me, but I have little expectation of realizing it.' "'It will be your own fault if you do not,' the tempter rejoined. "'You are equally well favored with the handsomest of them, and it was by good looks alone that the whole party rose to their present eminence. Why not pursue the same course, with the same certainty of success?' You have courage enough to undertake it, I presume? If courage alone were wanting, I have that, the young man replied. But I am wholly unknown in town. How then shall I accomplish an introduction at court, when I know not even its humblest attendant? I have already said you were lucky in meeting with me, Sir Francis replied. And I find you were luckier than I supposed when I told you so. For I knew not then towards what bent your desires tended, nor in what way I could help you. But now, finding out the boldness of your flight, and the high game you aim at, I am able to offer you effectual assistance, and give you an earnest of a prosperous issue. Through my means you shall be presented to the king, and in such sort that the presentation shall not be idly made. It will rest then with yourself to play your cards dexterously, and to follow up a winning game. Doubtless you will have many adversaries, who will trip up your heels if they can, and throw every obstacle in your way. But if you possess the strong arm I fancy you do, and daring to second it, you have nothing to fear. As I am a true gentleman, you shall have good counsel and a friend in secret to back you. To whom am I indebted for this most gracious and unlooked-for offer? the young man asked, his breast heaving and his eye flashing with excitement. To one you may perchance have heard of, the knight answered, as the subject of some misrepresentation, how justly applied you yourself will be able to determine from my present conduct. I am Sir Francis Mitchell. At the mention of this name, the young man started, and a deep, angry flush overspread his face and brow. Perceiving the effect produced, the wily knight hastened to remove it. My name, I see, awakens unpleasant associations in your breast, he said, and your look shows you have been influenced by the calumnies of my enemies. I do not blame you. Men can only be judged of by report, and those I have had dealings with have reported ill enough of me. But they have spoken falsely. I have done no more than any other person would do. I have obtained the best interest I could for my money, and my losses have been almost equal to my gains. Folks are ready enough to tell all they can against you, but slow to mention aught they conceive to be in your favor. 
They stigmatize me as a usurer, but they forget to add I am ever the friend of those in need. They use me and abuse me. That is the way of the world. Wherefore, then, should I complain? I am no worse off than my neighbors. And the proof that I can be disinterested is the way in which I have acted towards you, a perfect stranger, and who have no other recommendation to my good offices than your gracious mien and gentle manners. I cannot accept your preferred aid, Sir Francis, the young man replied, in an altered tone, and with great sternness. And you will understand why I cannot, when I announce myself to you as Jocelyn Monchensey. It was now the knight's turn to start, change color, and tremble. End of chapter 5